Well, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of God Honest Truth Livestream. And think for just a moment, what do the prophet Daniel, Yeshua, and end times connections, prophecies all have in common? Well, that's going to be the subject of tonight's drosh, and that's all about Hanukkah. So definitely make sure to stay tuned for tonight's drosh on Hanukkah, where you can learn the history of it, prophetic connections, how to celebrate it, etc., etc., all that's coming up right after we do our liturgy, our Torah portion, our Haftorah portion, and our Brit Hadashah portion. Now, if you're just joining us for the first time, we'd like to say shalom and welcome. We are God Honest Truth, and we are a Messianic ministry based out of Western North Carolina. You can find out more about us at GodHonestTruth.com. And of course, if you ever need to contact us, you can do so through one of our many social media profiles. Or the best way is directly through email at team at GodHonestTruth.com. So with all that being said, let's go ahead and dive right into our liturgy. Nefesh Yehudi Ohomiya Ufateh Misrak Kadima Ayin Lazion Sophia O Loavda Tikvateh Nu Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. Baruch Shem Kivod, Malhuto, Leolam Vayed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be his name, whose glorious kingdom is for eternity. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. 
and have these words which I command you this day be upon your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, and speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and let them be frontless between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house, and upon your gates. So in the way of announcements this week, we would like to take the time to just go ahead and apologize one more time for having to cancel last week. That was due to a sickness and there was absolutely no way we would have been able to do a stream last week, uh, much less even get a drosh up and going a proper one anyways. Would have been hoarse and coughing all over the place and it just would not have made for a good stream at all whatsoever. Now, I was very excited to do this live stream last week because we got all this new equipment in. And that's thanks to support from viewers like you. We were able to get some new um, mic stands and a new camera stand, which makes things a whole lot easier. And we've got everything set up and using it for the actually for the first time right now. So thank you once again for all those who have supported us and we always appreciate every single time that you do support us, whether that be financially, through your prayers especially. We just really, really appreciate all the support and love that you guys give us. Also, we were able to change up the pre-stream video where the whole countdown is. Hopefully you saw that today. And if you did, let us know what you think about it. Did you like it? Do you like the new version? Do you like the old version? What suggestions would you make? Just anything that you have to say about it, let us know down in the comments below. We would love to hear your feedback on that, especially. So, that's out there. Want to go ahead and apologize one more time for last week and inform you of all the new upgrades and new things we've been doing around here. Now, like always, we're definitely going to be giving you the upcoming list of episodes for about the next two months or so. Like we said, tonight is going to be all about Hanukkah, so that you'll know the history behind it, how to celebrate it, some symbolism, etc., etc. So definitely make sure to stay tuned for tonight's drosh. And if you happen to miss out on anything, like always, you can go to starting tomorrow morning. Well, actually starting right now. You can go to our website, www.godhonesttruth.com, and you can click on the post for the Hanukkah teaching, which is going on right now. And you can get the draw slides. You can go through your notes and the slides at your own pace in case you missed anything. And of course, the on-demand version of tonight's live stream will be available starting tomorrow morning. Now, next week, we're going to be doing a drosh all about Christmas. So definitely stay tuned for that. Find out how it relates to not only us in the Messianic faith, but also to scripture and Christianity as a whole. So definitely don't miss that next week either, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Friday night. And if you browse down through here, all of those do start on Friday nights at 8 p.m. So make sure to stay tuned for each of those different episodes. And we will be doing those as long as no sickness or anything like that comes up. So we are here to serve you and we try to do that whenever possible. And like always, here's your list of upcoming Moedim or feast days for the next upcoming year, all the way through Sukkot of next year. 
And of course, our next upcoming feast day is going to be Hanukkah. Now, that's not a scripturally mandated Moedim, but there's a lot of people like us who do celebrate Hanukkah. So we want to put that up there for you as well. This year, Hanukkah starts at sunset on September 18th, and it runs through sunset of September 26th. And as always, if you have any prayer requests or announcements that you would like to have announced live on air, make sure to have those into us by Thursday evening at the latest, because we do go live on Friday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So with all that out of the way, let's go ahead and get back to our liturgy. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. He walked among us, filled with your Spirit. The only one who ever perfectly fulfilled your Torah, he healed the sick and raised the dead. The multitudes of our people sought his touch. He taught as no man taught. With authority he brought forth the treasures of the Torah. How the children sought him, the lepers he touched and made clean. How the despised and outcast found love and release from their sin. How the hypocrites feared him, whose words uncovered their sin. Despised and rejected, acquainted with grief, he bore the sins of Israel. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, turned every one to his own way. Our iniquities were laid upon the king, the sins of the world his burden to bear. He rose from the dead and opened the way to life everlasting. Praise his name. We are in him. His spirit empowers. New life is ours with joy and peace. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, who has given us Messiah our King. For the sake of our Master Yeshua and his merit and virtues, may the sayings of my mouth and a meditation of my heart be favorable before you, O Lord, my Rock and my Redeemer. Amen. Avinu Shabashamayim Yikadesh Shemcha Tavo Mahutecha Yaasa Retzonecha Baaretz Kaasher Naasa Vashamayim Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let thy kingdom come, let thy will be done, as on earth, so as in heaven. Ten Lanu Hayom, Lechem Huchenu. Usalach lanu et ashmatenu ka asher. Solachim anachnu la asher ashmulanu. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Vial tevienu lide masa, kiim hasilenu min hara. Kilacha, hamamlacha, vahagavura. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. None can compare to you, O Lord, and nothing compares to your creation. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom 
Your mercy endures throughout all generations. The Lord is King. The Lord was King. The Lord shall be King throughout all time. May the Lord grant His people mercy. May the Lord bless His people with peace. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt Him together. And it came to pass, whenever the ark went forth, Moses would say, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. May those who hate you flee from before you. For from Zion shall go forth the Torah, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Blessed be he who in holiness gave the Torah to his people Israel. And tonight's Torah portion is going to be in Exodus chapter 21, verse 1 through chapter 22, verse 24. And we'll give you just a moment, like always, to find that in your preferred translation at home if you'd like to read along with us. Exodus chapter 21, verse 1. These are the right rulings which you are to set before them. <clears throat> when you buy a Hebrew servant, he serves six years, and in the seventh he goes out free for naught. If he comes in by himself, he goes out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children are her masters, and he goes out by himself. And if the servant truly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, let me not go out free, then his master shall bring him before Elohim, and shall bring him to the door, or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl. And when he shall serve him, and he shall serve him forever. And when a man sells his daughter to be a female servant, she does not go out as the male servants do. If she is displeasing in the eyes of her master, who has engaged her to himself, then he shall let her be ransomed. He shall have no authority to sell her to a foreign people because of him deceiving her. And if he has engaged her to his son, he is to do to her as is the right of daughters. If he takes another wife, her food, her covering, and her marriage rights are not to be diminished. And if he does not do these three for her, then she shall go out for naught without silver. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall certainly be put to death. <clears throat> but if he did not lie in wait, but Elohim delivered him into his hand, then I shall appoint for you a place where he is to flee. But when a man acts presumptuously against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you are to take him even from my slaughter place to die. And he who strikes his father or his mother shall certainly be put to death. And he who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found in his hand, shall certainly be put to death. And he who curses his father or his mother shall certainly be put to death. And when men strive together, and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, and he does not die but is confined to his bed, if he rises again and walks about outside with his staff, then he who struck him shall be innocent. He only pays for lost time and sees to it that he is completely healed. 
And when a man strikes his male or female servant with a rod, so that he dies under his hand, he shall certainly be punished. But if he remains alive a day or two, he is not punished, for he is his property. And when men strive, and they shall smite a pregnant woman, and her children come out, yet there is no injury, he shall certainly be punished accordingly as the woman's husband lays upon him, and he shall give through the judges. But if there is injury, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, lash for lash. And when a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he is to let him go free for the sake of his eye. And if he knocks out the tooth of his male or female servant, he is to let him go free for the sake of his tooth. And when an ox gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall certainly be stoned and its flesh is not eaten, and the owner of the ox is innocent. However, if the ox was previously in the habit of goring, and its owner has been worn, and he has not kept it confined, so that it has killed a man or a woman, the ox is stoned, and its owner also is put to death. If a sin covering is laid upon him, then he shall give the ransom of his life, whatever is laid on him. Whenever it has gored a son or gored a daughter, according to this right ruling, it is done to him. If the ox gores a male or female servant, he is to give to their master thirty shekels of silver, and the ox is stoned. And when a man opens a pit, or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls in it, the owner of the pit is to repay. He is to give silver to the owner, and the dead beast is his. And when the ox of a man smites the ox of his neighbor, and it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and divide the silver from it, and also divide the dead ox. Or if it was known that the ox was previously in the habit of goring, and its owner has not kept it confined, he shall certainly repay ox for ox, while the dead beast is his. When a man steals an ox or a sheep, and shall slaughter it or sell it, he repays five cattle for an ox, and four sheep for a sheep. If the thief is found breaking in, and he is struck so that he dies, there is no guilt for his bloodshed. If the sun has risen on him, there is no guilt for his bloodshed, he shall certainly repay. If he has not the means, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the theft is indeed found alive in his hand, whether it is an ox or donkey or sheep, he repays double. When a man lets a field or vineyard be grazed bare, and lets loose his livestock, and it feeds in another man's field, he repays from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. When fire breaks out and spreads to thorn bushes, so that stacked grain or standing grain or the field is consumed, he who kindled the fire shall certainly repay. When a man gives silver or goods to his neighbor to guard, and it is stolen out of the man's house, if the thief is found, he repays double. If the thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought before Elohim to see whether he has put his hand into his neighbor's goods. For every matter of transgression, for ox, for donkey, for sheep, for garment, or for whatever is lost, which another claims to be his, let the matter of them both come before Elohim, and whomever Elohim declares wrong repays double to his neighbor. When a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or ox or sheep or any beast to watch over, and it dies or is injured or is driven away while no one is looking, let an oath of Yahweh be between them both, that he has not put his hand into his neighbor's goods. 
and the owner of it shall accept that, and he does not repay. But if it is indeed stolen from him, he repays to its owner. If it is torn to pieces, let him bring it for evidence. He does not repay what was torn. And when a man borrows from his neighbor, and it is injured or dies while the owner of it is not present, he shall certainly repay. But if its owner was with it, he does not repay. If it was hired, he is entitled to the hire. And when a man entices a maiden who is not engaged, and he lies with her, he shall certainly pay the bride price for her to be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he pays according to the bride price of maidens. Do not allow a practiser of witchcraft to live. Any one lying with a beast shall certainly be put to death. He who slaughters to an Elohim except to Yahweh only is put under the ban. Do not tread down a sojourner or oppress him, for ye were sojourners in the land of Mitzrayim. Do not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If ye do afflict them at all, if they cry out to me at all, I shall certainly hear their cry, and my wrath shall burn, and I shall kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows, and your children fathers. Barukata Yahweh, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Natan Lanu Toratemet, Vichaye Olam Betukenu, Barukata Yahweh, Noten Ha Torah. Amen. This is the Torah which Moses placed before the children of Israel. It is in accord with the Lord's command by the hand of Moses. It is a tree of life to those who take hold of it, and those who support it are praiseworthy. Its ways are ways of pleasantness, and all its paths are peace. Bring us back, Lord, to you, and we shall come. Renew our days as of old. Etaim hi, lamahazim kimba, vetomehe ha meushar, derahe ha darhe noam, Veholnativoteha shalom. Hashivenu Adonai. Elehavena shuvam. Hadesh. Hadesh amenu. Hadesh amenu. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen faithful prophets to speak words of truth. Amen. All right, and tonight's Haftorah portion is going to be Jeremiah chapter 34, verses 1 through 14. And once again, we'll give you just a moment to find that in your preferred translation at home if you'd like to read along with us. Chapter 34, verse 1. 
The word which came to Yermiyahu from Yahweh, when Nebuchadnezzar, sovereign of Babel, and all his army, and all the reigns of the earth under his rule, and all the people, fought against Jerusalem and all its cities, saying, Thus said Yahweh, the Elohim of Israel, Go and speak to Zedekiahu, sovereign of Yehudah, and say to him, Thus said Yahweh, See, I am giving this city into the hand of the sovereign of Babel, and he shall burn it with fire. And you shall not escape out of his hand, but certainly be taken and given into his hand. And your eyes shall see the eyes of the sovereign of Babel, and his mouth shall speak with your mouth, and you shall go to Babel. But hear the word of Yahweh, O Yahu, sovereign of Yehudah. Thus said Yahweh concerning you, You shall not die by the sword. In peace you are to die, and as in the burnings of spices for your fathers, the former, the former sovereigns who were before you, so they shall burn spices for you, and lament for you, saying, Alas, master, for I have spoken the word, declares Yahweh. And Yermiahu the prophet spoke all these words to Zedekiahu, the sovereign of Judah, and Jerusalem, while the sovereign of Babel's army was fighting against Jerusalem, and all the cities of Yehuda that were left, against Lachish and Azekah, for only these walled cities remained of the cities of Yehuda. The word which came to Yermiyahu from Yahweh, after sovereign Zedekiahu had made a covenant with all the people who were at Jerusalem to proclaim release to them, that every one was to set free his male and female slave, the Hebrew man and the Hebrew woman, no one was to keep a Yehudi, his brother, enslaved. And when all the heads and all the people who had come into the covenant heard that each one was to set free his male and female slaves and not keep them enslaved any longer, they obeyed and released them. But afterward they changed their minds and made the male and female slaves return, whom they had set free, and brought them into subjection as male and female slaves. Therefore the word of Yahweh came to Yermiyahu from Yahweh, saying, Thus said Yahweh, the Elohim of Israel, I myself made a covenant with your fathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Mitzrayim, out of the house of bondage, saying, At the end of seven years each one should set, his, set free his Hebrew brother who has been sold to him. And when he has served you six years, you shall let him go free from you. But your fathers did not obey me, nor incline their ear. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the living word in Messiah Yeshua. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the renewed covenant. Amen. And tonight's Brit Hadashah portion is going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And one more time, we'll give you just a moment to find that in your preferred translation at home. First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine. Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the reign of Elohim? 
Do not be deceived. Neither those who whore, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor greedy of gain, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers shall inherit the reign of Elohim. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were set apart, but not, I'm sorry, but you were declared right in the name of the Master Yeshua and by the Spirit of our Elohim. Borukata Yahweh Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Natan Lanu HaDevar HaEmet Bechaye Olam Betukenum Borukata Yahweh Notain HaBrit Chadasha Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who gave to us the word of truth and planted life everlasting in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the renewed covenant. Amen. Alright, so like normal, it is drosh time, but also like normal, we're going to take just a quick break and check on our um, live streams. And for those of you who may be hearing it for the first time, we do live stream to three different platforms. We live stream to YouTube, Odyssey, and Twitch. So if there's one that you prefer over the other, then by all means, go watch on the one you prefer. And, of course, the best way to go and watch it is going to be on GodHonestTruth.com, directly from the website. You can click on the live stream link at the top or click on the post for this particular drosh, which is tonight, Hanukkah. And also, if you're not aware, this week we have also started uploading the tour portions for the week. They come out yesterday on Thursday. And that way, if you want to hear or read through video just the tour portions, you can now do so. We make that available through our YouTube channel and also our audio podcasting channels as well. So you can just listen to it at your convenience. Maybe if you're at work, if you're cooking supper or whatnot, that way you can get just the scripture part, the tour portion, half tour portion, and Brit Haida Shah portion. So make sure to go check that out as well. And be sure to let us know what you think as well. And by letting us know, you can do that, of course, through email, which is the most direct way. But for tonight, once you go down below and let us know what you think of that kind of process and also what it is that you know about Hanukkah. How have you celebrated Hanukkah in the past? What kind of tips and tricks would you give for anyone celebrating Hanukkah for the first time? Just let us all know down in the comments below. Before coming up from there, also make sure to hit that like button and hit the subscribe button as well as the bell icon. That way you can be notified every time we go live or upload an on-demand video. And then also hit that share button and share it around with your friends, family, coworkers, or who have you. Because word of mouth advertising is the best type of advertising and we really, really, really do appreciate it every time that you tell someone about God Honest Truth Ministries. So let's go ahead and get tonight's drosh pulled up here real quick. There we go. <coughs> and I do apologize. There are some remnants of last week's flu 
Still got a little bit of congestion and whatnot. So just bear with me tonight. So like I said, tonight's drosh is all going to be about Hanukkah. Ever how you spell it, there's a few different ways of spelling it, but the festival is all the same. It's the Festival of Lights, Hanukkah. And this year, it starts at sunset on December 18th and runs through sunset of December 26th. And for those of you who just want a quick summary without the whole lowdown, I mean, without the whole in the weeds kind of format, here is your quick summary. This is done just for you. As always, let us know what you think of adding this kind of aspect to the drosh. Do you like the quick summary? Do you not? Just let us know down in the comments. But quick summary goes as such. There was a Greek king called Antiochus IV, and he eventually came into power over the land of Israel. Now, what Antiochus did is he pressed the people into Hellenization, forsaking Yahweh and Torah and all that, and forced them into Hellenization and paganism. As a result, the temple itself in Jerusalem was desecrated, it was vandalized, there was even a pig that was sacrificed on the altar. But eventually, Judah Maccabee and his family led a rebellion or a, a revolt against Antiochus and the Greeks. And eventually, Judah Maccabee and the Maccabees, under the power of Yahweh, because we'll get into all that in the deeper drosh. But Judah Maccabee and the Maccabees, under the power of Yahweh, were eventually able to free Israel from Antiochus and the Greeks. Once they do so, they restore this temple and they rededicate it back to Yahweh. After they clean up all the desecration that's happened, then they rededicate it back to Yahweh. And this is where we get the word Hanukkah, because Hanukkah means dedication or rededication. Sometimes you're reading in the New Testament that we'll get to in a little bit also, you'll see the word feast of dedication in one particular passage. Other translations also call it feast of Hanukkah. But same thing, the Hebrew word Hanukkah means dedication. So that was your quick summary about Hanukkah. Now let's get into the more in-depth teaching on the subject. And by doing that, we're actually going to start way before the events of Hanukkah. Way before Antiochus, way before Judah Maccabee and all that. We're going to start in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7 verses 2 through 3 and 6. Daniel spoke and said, I was looking in my vision by night and saw the four winds of the heavens stirring up the great sea, and four, four great beasts came up from the sea different from one another. And talking about the fourth beast, he says, After this I looked and saw another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and rule was given to it. So, this is one of Daniel's dreams, right? He had this vision given to him by Yahweh, a prophetic vision. And in this vision, he sees four different beasts. And the beast he's talking about here is one that's shaped like a leopard, 
right? Had wings and it also had four heads. Now, for scholars, they pretty much agree that this beast represents the Greeks, right? It's not the last one. Rome would be the last one, but it represents the Greeks who came after the Persians. And this is why it is relevant to our story. Now, after this vision of the four beasts, and especially this one leopard-like beast, and being the Greeks, we now move on to one of the most famous Greeks that people know about, and that is Alexander the Great. He also actually has some small part to play in connection with Hanukkah. Now, Alexander the Great was a Macedonian Greek, and his tutor up until about age 16 was the Aristotle of all people, right? So he was well-educated, very smart man, and he was actually able to accomplish a whole lot during his pretty short lifespan. But at the age of 20, he was able to become king of Macedonia. Now, once he became king, then he started conquering different lands and stuff like that, eventually conquering pretty much all of the known world at that time, from Greece to Syria, Persians, through the Middle East and Israel, through Egypt, then started um, east towards China and through India and stuff like that. But by the age of his death at about 32, he had conquered, like we said, pretty much all of the known world at that time. And here is a quick map to kind of show you all of the lands that Alexander the Great had been able to conquer. Now, like we mentioned, Alexander the Great had a fairly short but accomplished life. And after his death, things kind of got tumultuous at that point. When he died, Alexander's empire was actually divided up into four different sections. Okay? Remember Daniel's vision? There was one beast with four heads. Well, the Greeks is that one beast, but the four heads represent the four different sections that Alexander's empire got divided up into. Now, one of those sections was given to, or actually these four different sections were given to his generals, his commanders, right? And one of those sections was given to his commander, Cassander, and he was given Macedonia and Greece, right? The northwestern territory of Alexander's empire. Lysimachus controlled Thrace and Asia Minor, Ptolemy, You've heard of the Ptolemaic dynasty. Ptolemy controlled Egypt, Israel at that time, Cyprus, and nearby Asia Minor. And Seleucus controlled India, Syria, Iraq, Iran, and all those other places in that area. Now, the general Seleucus is the one we're actually going to be focusing on from this point. He was given control of, like I said, Syria, Iraq, Iran. And at that point, he did not have control of Israel. And here's a short map of how it got divided up into four different sections here. You see the Seleucid Kingdom up there and the, I guess say north, northeast. And then you got the Ptolemies down in the south, which also includes Jerusalem at this time. Now, over the years, there were different kings and rulers that ruled over the Seleucid Empire. 
It went from Seleucus the first all the way through Antiochus the second, Antiochus the second, Theos, Seleucus the second, Seleucus the third, Antiochus the third, Seleucus the fourth, and then we get to the main person of our drosh, <coughs> and that is Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes. Okay. This is also mentioned in the book of Daniel as well. Daniel 11, 31 through 32. And strong ones shall arise from him and profane the set apart place, the stronghold, and shall take away that which is continual and set up the abomination that lays waste. And by flatteries, he shall profane those who do wrong against the covenant. But the people who know their Elohim shall be strong and shall act. So even in this prophecy of Daniel, He's talking about this great beast, and there's going to be strong ones that come from this beast. And we've already seen the four different sections that were divided up amongst the four generals. And like I said, originally Ptolemy had control of Israel in that land. But over the years, there was fighting back and forth between the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. And eventually, the Seleucids got control of Israel in that area. And that's who had control during Antiochus IV's time. The Seleucids did. So that meant Antiochus IV of the Seleucid Empire was ruling over Israel and the land. Now, Antiochus IV Epiphanes was interesting. Let me put it that way. And what I mean by that is he took the name Epiphanes, which actually means God manifest, right? His original name, though, was Mithridates, and that meant given by the Mithra, pagan gods. Like I said, Epiphanes, the name that he eventually ended up taking, means God manifest. I mean, how arrogant and conceited do you have to be to call yourself God manifest when you know that you're not? He was the first of the Seleucid kings to use divine epithets on coins. This is how far his arrogance went. And we'll show you the picture of that in just a moment. He was the first of the Seleucid kings also to prohibit and enforce, I'm sorry, prohibits the local customs and culture and religions and force Hellenization violently. Even Alexander the Great did not force Hellenization on the peoples. Alexander the Great even adopted some of the cultural stuff of the lands that he took over. But Antiochus wasn't having none of that. He instead violently enforced Hellenization and paganism. In fact, he went so far and got so over the edge that some of his contemporaries even started calling him Epimenes, the mad one, instead of Epiphanes, right? That's how much they actually thought of him. People that lived during the time he did called him mad, how far he was gone. Here is a coin that Antiochus IV had minted and was used in the Seleucid Empire at that time. You can see over there on the left where it says Theos Epiphanes, again, meaning God manifest. Now, 
for the main event. You've got the setup, you've got the background, you've got some history leading up to this. Now for the story of Hanukkah. Now, before we get started too much, just want to point out that we'll be getting a lot of text from the books of Maccabees, first and second Maccabees. Now, first and second Maccabees is not scripture. All right, it's nothing to define our doctrine or our lives around, right? But it is good for historical purposes. We can look back and we can see exactly where things like Hanukkah came from and relate to how Jews were thinking at that time. Okay, so I just want to put that out there real quick. We're not presenting it as scripture. We're presenting it as historical reference here. Okay. Now, 1 Maccabees 20 through 24, I'm sorry, 1 Maccabees chapter 1, verses 20 through 24. And Antiochus, after that he had smitten Egypt, returned in the hundred and forty and third year, and went up against Israel and Jerusalem with a great multitude, and entered presumptuously into the sanctuary, and took the golden altar, and the candlestick of the light, and all that pertained thereto, and the table of the shewbread, and the cups to pour withal, and the bowls, and the golden censers, and the veil, and the crowns, and the adorning of gold, which was on the face of the temple. And he scaled it all off, and he took the silver, and the gold, and the precious vessels, and he took the hidden treasures which he found. And when he had taken all, he went away into his own land, and he made a great slaughter, and spake very presumptuously." So you can see, when Antiochus comes in, he totally desecrates the temple. He takes everything out of there. He takes the altar, the gold off the walls. He takes the menorah. He takes it all and takes it back home with him. Completely, almost destroys the temple. But it's complete desecration nonetheless. And even back then... It was against the law to not only have a Torah, but also to keep the Torah. Remember what we said? He violently enforced paganism and Hellenization. 1 Maccabees 54-57 And on the fifteenth day of Kislev, in the hundred and forty and fifth year, they builded an abomination of desolation upon the altar, and in the cities of Judah, on every side, they builded idol altars, and at the doors of the houses and in the streets they burnt incense. And they rent in pieces the books of the law which they found, and set them on fire. And wheresoever was found with any a book of the covenant, and if any consented to the law, the king's sentence delivered him to death. I mean, how bad is that? That if you were still keeping Torah, or if you had a Torah then they would kill you for it. I mean, this is like the first iteration of Nazis back then, right? The book burning, the killing, all this other stuff. It says they even went so far as to put up pagan altars, not only in the temple, but also all around Israel, all around Jerusalem, doing all these various pagan things. Going on, 1 Maccabees 1, 59-63. And on the five and twentieth day of the month, they sacrificed upon the idol altar 
which was up on the altar of God. And the women that had circumcised their children, they put to death according to the commandment. And they hanged their babes around their necks and destroyed their houses and them that had circum and them that had circumcised them. And many in Israel were fully resolved and confirmed in themselves not to eat unclean things. And they chose to die, that they might not be defiled with the meats, and that they might not profane the holy covenant. And they died. I mean, this is getting truly barbaric. Mothers who had their children circumcised. The Greeks would come in, kill their babies, and then hang the bodies of the dead babies around their mothers. And anyone who would not eat unclean, they would also die, be killed, simply for keeping kosher. And it even goes so far as to say that these Greeks under Antiochus even sacrificed, actually put up a pagan altar on the altar of God. They put up a pagan altar on the altar of God and made a pagan sacrifice, sacrificed a pig right there in the Holy of Holies. I mean, saying they desecrated the temple is an understatement. It's just absolutely horrid, the things that they did. And this is toned down for the purposes of this drosh. The things they did were a lot more than what we've already described. Many, many more heinous things happened during this time, but we've cut out a lot of stuff and toned it down. I mean, definitely advise you or recommend that you go and do your own research on this subject because it is truly, truly brutal what happened there. But unfortunately, well, like we already described, some held fast and held the way. They still ate clean. They still kept Torah and they knew they were going to die and they died anyways. They still kept the right way. Unfortunately, some of the Jews, some of the Hebrews, well, they went along with the times. Saved their life or whatever. They actually adopted Hellenization and went along with what the program the Greeks had laid out for them was. 1 Maccabees 1, 13 through 15. And certain of the people were forward herein and went to the king and he gave them license to do after the ordinances of the Gentiles. And they built a place of exercise in Jerusalem according to the laws of the Gentiles. And they made themselves uncircumcised and forsook the holy covenant and joined themselves to the Gentiles and sold themselves to do evil. I'm not even how you could do that. Made themselves uncircumcised. That is beyond me how you could reverse that process. But it says here that they did that along with other things. Joined themselves to the Gentiles. They ate unclean. They forsook the Holy Covenant. They forsook Torah. They forsook the ways of Yahweh. Just go along with the times of the culture they were living in. And we even get warnings about this 
from the Apostle Peter in the Brit Hadashah. Not specifically about Hanukkah, but it relates to what we just talked about. 2 Peter 3.17 You then, beloved ones, being forewarned, watch, lest you fall lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the delusion of the lawless. We can definitely see from what's going on with the Greeks in Antiochus that they're definitely lawless. And they're definitely deluded into thinking that what they're doing is right, or okay, or whatever. And the Apostle Peter here is telling us now not to be like that to remain steadfast and not be carried away with the delusion of the lawless. And those Jews that turned away from Yahweh could have really used this warning from the Apostle Peter. (coughs) But fortunately, not all of the Jews back during the time of Antiochus went along with the Greek program. There are some who stood in the right way did the right things that did not forsake Yahweh. First Maccabees two seventeen through twenty five. And the king's officers answered and spake to Mattathias, saying, Thou art a ruler and an honorable and great man in this city, and strengthened with sons and brethren. Now therefore come thou first and do the commandment of the king, as all the nations have done, and the men of Judah. And they that remain in Jerusalem, and thou and thy house shall be in the number of the king's friends. And thou and thy sons shall be honored with silver and gold and many gifts. And Mattathias answered and said with a loud voice, If all the nations that are in the house of the king's dominion hearken unto him, to fall away each one from the worship of his fathers, and have made choice to follow his commandments, Yet will I and my sons and my brethren walk in the covenant of our fathers. Heaven forbid that we should forsake the law and the ordinances. We will not hearken to the king's words to go aside from our worship on the right hand or on the left. And when he had left speaking these words, there came a Jew in the sight of all to sacrifice on the altar, which was at Modin, according to the king's commandment. And Mattathias saw it, and his zeal was kindled, and his reins trembled. And he shewed forth his wrath according to judgment, and ran and slew him upon the altar. And the king's officer, who compelled men to sacrifice, he killed at that time, and pulled down the altar. So Mattathias ain't having none of it. The soldiers told him, hey, just go along with it. The king will count you as a friend. You know, hey, things will be good. We'll give you silver and gold. Life will be wonderful. And Mattathias said, no. It doesn't matter how many people do it, go along with the king. It doesn't matter what's involved. Me and mine, we're not doing that. Reminds me of that passage back in Joshua. It says, as for me and my household, we will serve Yahweh. This is pretty much what Mattathias was saying here. And he was so zealous for the right way of doing things that another Jew, one of those who had given in, came to sacrifice a pig on the altar, on the pagan altar. Mattathias saw this and killed him. And then he and his sons and his brethren killed the Jewish, I'm sorry, the Greek soldiers who were there enforcing all this. And this is what starts the Maccabean revolt. 
and the whole story of Hanukkah. Which is truly amazing history. Because keep in mind, this wasn't the entire nation of Israel that was revolting against the Greeks. This was a small band, right? Like we said, some of the Jews went along with the program, saved their own skin probably. So they weren't fighting against the Greeks. It was a small band led by the Maccabees who were fighting mostly against the Greeks, but also against the traitorous Jews. And not long after the revolt started, Mattathias was killed in battle, and who took over was his son Judah, Judah Maccabee. And eventually they were able to free Israel from the oppression and reign of Antiochus and the Greeks. And then they were able to clean up the temple, get out all the paganism, and then rededicate it back to Yahweh. Like we said, that's what Hanukkah means, dedication or rededication. Now, to really get at the truly amazing aspect of this, like we said, it wasn't the entire nation of Israel. It was just a small band of Jews, right? The Maccabees, who were waging this revolt. It was like the National Guard of New Jersey, a very small state, going up against the entire military of America. I mean, you look at the statistics, you look at the odds, you look at their weaponry, what they've got, and you're not placing bets on the Maccabees at the beginning of the war, right? Just based on that kind of information. But this small band, who, statistically speaking, would not have any chance against the larger Greek forces, the more powerful, better armored, better weaponed Greeks, the Maccabees still come through and want. This is the miraculousness of the power of Yahweh. They, the Maccabees stood firm in the Torah, in the ways of Yahweh. And as a result, Yahweh blessed them and led them through the revolt until eventually Israel was done with the Greeks here, back under Israeli control. And the temple was cleaned up and rededicated. And this is one of the miracles of the Father, of Yahweh. And that's one thing to definitely keep in mind about Hanukkah. It celebrates another miraculous deliverance from Yahweh. And speaking of delivery, the deliverer from Yahweh, let's talk about Yeshua and Hanukkah, the connection there. We read in John 10, verses 22 through 23. At that time, the Hanukkah came to be in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Yeshua was walking in the set-apart place in the porch of Shalomo. Now, unfortunately, this is the only reference in the entire Brit Hadashah to Hanukkah.
And we see here, Yeshua is there at the temple in the porch of Shlomo, right? Solomon's porch. How does this relate? He was just having to be in a spot at a certain time, right? Well, no, there's a lot more that goes into that. Okay. Think about it. During Yeshua's ministry, where did he spend most of his time at? He spent it outside the city, preaching and teaching. He was out on the fisherman's boat. He was out on the seashore. He was up on the mountain teaching, right? He was feeding the people. He wasn't in the temple, usually. He did go to the temple, right? But he had a certain occasion to go to the temple. Whether that be Passover, Sukkot, uh, Shavuot, what have you. When he needed to go to the temple, he did go to the temple. And here we see one of those times that he was in the temple. And that was during Hanukkah. Also consider that when the Jews would come up and they had something they were doing wrong, right? Yeshua had no problem pointing that out and setting them straight. Now, a lot of times they didn't hear it, but the point is Yeshua had no problem pointing that out to them, pointing out that it was wrong. During the entire Brit Hadashah, even here in this mentioned section, and look it up for yourselves. Read prior verses. Read the verses that come after. What have you. Read the entire context if you like. But even here, Yeshua says nothing against Hanukkah. It was already a well-established, uh, we say, feast day. Okay? Now, granted, it wasn't instituted in the Torah like the rest of the Moedim. So it's not an actual prescribed Moedim per scriptural standards. But it was already a well-known, well-established, celebrated feast day amongst the believers at that time. So there's no reason to suggest that Yeshua would not also take part in Hanukkah. Another connection between Yeshua and Hanukkah. Check this out. The list on your left, you have the list of the Hebrew months in order. From the head of the year in Nisan, all the way down through the last month of Adar. Now, if we go by the traditionally accepted time of Yeshua's birth, which would be Sukkot, which happens in Tishrei, we count back 10 months, right? 40 weeks for a pregnancy. And we get the time of Kislev. What happens in Kislev? Well, what are we talking about tonight? We're talking about Hanukkah. Now, Yeshua said he was the light of the world, right? Now, think about this. Light of the world being conceived during the Festival of Lights. All right. Take that for you, what you will. Not any more information to come to back that up. Just an interesting thought that we had. But what do you think about that? Write down in the comments what it is you think about that connection. Do you like that? Do you agree with it? 
Do you have more information about that? If you do, please definitely write it down below. <clears throat> but there's also a prophetic connection to Hanukkah as well. Now, we know that in the end times, the Antichrist will come forth and will face lots of great tribulations, right? For those of you who have read all the way through the end of the book, you know that things are going to get really bad for a time, and then we win. But there's definitely going to be great tribulations there that we're going to have to go through first. Then we're going to see Yeshua from the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of Judah, like the Maccabees were, who will come on the scene and defeat the Antichrist, who is instituting all these great tribulations. And then we'll see the new temple, the new earth, and new Jerusalem be dedicated. And this follows along the storyline of Hanukkah. The Greeks came in, there was lots of tribulation, and then there was a deliverer, the Maccabees, who came in, took care of business, and then got everything cleaned up, and everything renewed. That's the story of Hanukkah, and now we have the prophetic connection to the end times as well, where we see a very similar situation happening. Now you'll also notice, too, if you know your eschatological prophecies, that there will be an abomination of desolation during the end times. We also see that happened back during the time of Hanukkah as well. And we see Antiochus IV as a foreshadowing and a type of the Antichrist as well. There's lots of connections here between Hanukkah and the end times, between Hanukkah and Yeshua. Okay? Make sense? Now, some things to note real quick also. Did the story of Hanukkah actually happen? Did it really happen? Yes. And we can look at this through a historical view, and you look through archaeological evidence, you look through historical evidence, and you see that, yes, Antiochus, I'm sorry, yes, Alexander conquered the known world, including Middle East, land of Israel. It was eventually divided into his four generals, and eventually Antiochus and Seleucids got control of the area around Israel. And that Antiochus IV was an absolute dirtbag who did lots of horrible things. And this is all historical stuff. And eventually the Jews revolted and got their independence back and restored the temple. All that's historical fact. Okay. Now, something to keep in mind, though. Generally, the story goes about Hanukkah that the reason it's because... The reason that Hanukkah goes for eight days is because of the story of the oil. And the story of the oil goes that when they cleaned up the temple and they were going to, you know, get everything going back the way they're supposed to go, that they went to light the menorah, which is supposed to continuously burn, right? 
but they only had enough oil to last for one day. That's the amount that they had when they started out. Well, they lit it up anyways, and it miraculously lasted for eight days until they were able to um, produce new oil to go into the menorah, right? However, we don't have any corroborating evidence to back that up. Let's look at 1 Maccabees 4, 56 and 59. And they kept the dedication of the altar eight days and offered burnt offerings with gladness and sacrificed a sacrifice of deliverance and praise. And Judas and his brethren and the whole congregation of Israel ordained that the days of the dedication of the altar should be kept in their seasons from year to year by the space of eight days from the five and twentieth day of the month of Kislev with gladness and joy. So here in the book of Maccabees is the institution of Hanukkah. And it's not saying anything about oil, right? At this point. Even the writer Josephus doesn't mention that back during the first century, right? He says in the Jewish war, now Judas celebrated the festival of the restoration of the sacrifices of the temple for eight days and omitted no sort of pleasures thereon. But he feasted them upon very rich and splendid sacrifices, and he honored God and delighted them by hymns and psalms. Nay, they were so very glad at the revival of their customs when after a long time of intermission they unexpectedly had regained their freedom of their worship that they made it a law for their posterity that they should keep a festival on account of the restoration of their temple worship for eight days. And from that time to this, we celebrate this festival and call it Lights. I suppose the reason was because this, this liberty beyond our hopes appeared to us, and that thence was the name given to the festival. So even Josephus, in recounting Hanukkah and the events of Hanukkah, doesn't mention anything about oil. In fact, if we look at the book of 2 Maccabees, Chapter 10, verses 5 through 8, we get this little insight as to why it's eight days. Now, on the same day that the sanctuary was profaned by aliens, upon that very day did it come to pass that the cleansing of the sanctuary was made, even on the five and twentieth day of the same month, which is Kislev, and they kept eight days with gladness in the manner of the Feast of Tabernacles, remembering how that not long before, during the Feast of Tabernacles, they were wandering in the mountains and in the caves after the manner of wild beasts. Wherefore, bearing wands wreathed with leaves and fair bows and palms also, they offered up hymns of thanksgiving to him that had prosperously brought to pass the cleansing of his own place. They ordained also with a common statute and decree for all the nation of the Jews that they should keep these days every year. So what it seems like from this evidence is that the reason it was eight days was because they were actually trying to do Sukkot that they hadn't been able to do previous to this, right? In the Torah, it says definitely got to do Sukkot, right? But since they were being oppressed violently in the Hellenization, not allowed to do Torah and Right before this, they were in the middle of a revolt, fighting a war, 
So they weren't able to do Sukkot then. So finally, they got control. They got the temple cleansed up and rededicated. And so they took those eight days they were supposed to have spent for Sukkot. And they just went ahead and took eight days for a feast. And it's the wrong time of year for Sukkot, so it's Hanukkah, right? So now we have not only Sukkot, but we also have Hanukkah. But most likely, that's where the eight days comes from. Does that mean that the story of the oil didn't actually happen? It's all made up? No, it doesn't really mean that. I'm just trying to say that we don't have early, early evidence for the story of the oil. In fact, the first evidence that we do get for the story of the oil comes from about the second century of the common era from the scroll of Antiochus and not the Antiochus we've been talking about. It says in this scroll, and they saw pure olive oil with which to light the menorah, but they found only one little vessel sealed with the seal of the high priest, and they knew it to be pure. And it contained but sufficient oil for one day. But the God of heaven, who caused his presence to dwell in the sanctuary, gave his blessing, and it sufficed to light the menorah eight days. Therefore did the sons of the Hashmonai, together with the Israelites, ordain that these eight days be ever celebrated as days of joy and feasting, along with the festivals ordained in the Torah, that candles be lit to commemorate the victory they achieved through the God of heaven, that it be forbidden to mourn or to decree a fast day during the period, except such as may have been established previously, and it was further ordained to pray and thank God. So the first evidence that we see regarding the story of the oil comes from 200 years, or some 200 years, after the time of Yeshua. So it's way after the events of Hanukkah. Maybe there's other evidence out there. If you do have earlier evidence than this, then please send it to us right down in the comments and through email, but definitely let us know. So far, this is the earliest evidence that we can find. So can't say this definitely eight days because of the story of the oil. Most likely it's eight days because of Sukkot. <clears throat> Now, here's some things to consider. You may be asking yourself, is it wrong to celebrate Hanukkah? No. Absolutely not. <clears throat> when we look at various holidays and things that happen around the world, we ask ourselves, A, is it in the Bible or is it against the Bible? Is it pagan or come from pagan sources? Okay, number one, Hanukkah is, well, it doesn't come from Scripture. So we can say that it's not in the Bible, but it is a historical fact. And it does not go against the Bible by any means whatsoever. It celebrates the miraculous power and deliverance of Yahweh. So it definitely can't be against the Bible. Does it come from paganism? No. 
Absolutely not. It actually goes against paganism. It's a story about going against paganism. So no, it's not wrong to celebrate Hanukkah. But you may be asking yourself, how does celebrating Hanukkah any different than from celebrating Easter and Christmas? Well, we just laid out a couple points there. Both Christmas and Easter come from paganism and is even against Scripture. Scripture mentions the Ashtaroth, right? Which comes down to us now as Easter. Scripture also mentions, do not cut down a tree, take it in your house and decorate it. So it pretty much specifically calls out Christmas too. And when you research it out, you find that both Christmas and Easter come from paganism, no doubt. There's no debate on that. Their roots are directly from paganism, not in the Bible, and actually against the Bible. So Hanukkah is definitely different than Christmas and Easter. It's not the same thing. Some interesting things. (coughs) As we mentioned before, Hanukkah is referred to as the Festival of Lights. Keep that in mind. Hanukkah is on the 25th day of Kislev. If you're going by the Hebrew calendar, now you know when it occurs every single year. Light is also the 25th word in the Hebrew Bible. If you look in the Hebrew manuscripts and you count out 25 words, the 25th word is light. Festival of Lights happens on the 25th day of Kislev. Interesting, right? And like we mentioned before, Yeshua calls himself the light of the world. John 8, 12. Therefore, Yeshua spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall by no means walk in darkness, but possess the light of life. Now, Hanukkah, the festival of lights, Yeshua, light of the world. Once again, going back to that thought, what if Yeshua, the light of the world, was conceived on the festival of lights? Interesting to think about. Now, what about celebration? You got the history, you got the story, you know what Hanukkah is all about, but how do we celebrate it? What are some of the things we do? (coughs) And of course, eat, right? Everybody's wanting to know that. Well, first of all, let's start off with the lampstand. Here on your screen, you see two different types of lampstands. On the left, you have a six-branch menorah, okay? And then on the right, you have a, I'm sorry, a seven-branch menorah on the left. And then on the right, you have a nine-branched Hanukkah. And the Hanukkah is a special menorah just for Hanukkah. Okay? Just keep in mind, though, that Hanukkahs and menorahs are different. Menorahs have seven branches. Hanukkahs have nine. Why do they have nine? 
Well, because you've got the eight branches for the eight days of Hanukkah, and then you've got the center, taller position for the shamash or servant candle that you use to light the other candles with. That's why there's nine. Another thing that you do during Hanukkah is play dreidel. Now, my kids absolutely love playing dreidel. They love the game. They love the candy. They just love it. And if you've never played before, let me give you a crash course into playing dreidel. So you take the dreidel. Well, first you take whatever you're betting with, right? And you put a piece in the pot. And then you spin the dreidel. And each person takes a turn spinning the dreidel. Now, if when you spin, if it lands on noon, then you get nothing. And you do nothing. It's just like a pass on to the next player. If you get a gimmel, then you get everything that's in the pot. Okay, that's the big win. That's the one you want. If you get a hay, that means you get half of everything in a pot. Okay, still doing pretty good. But if you get a shin, then you put one in. You add to the pot. You lose part of what you've got. And then it just keeps going around the circle, everyone taking turns, until someone loses everything they've got, and then they're out, and then eventually someone's going to get everything. If it goes on long enough, right? And that's how you play dreidel. You spin it. If you get a noon, you get nothing. Gimel gets it all. A hay takes half, and a shin puts one in. That's how I remember it anyways. Now, these four different letters, noon, gimel, hay, and shin, stand for a phrase, actually. Neskadol Hayasham. That means a great miracle happened there. Speaking of Hanukkah and the events that played out during the time of Hanukkah. And a great miracle did take place there. Yahweh delivered his people from the hands of the Greeks through this small band of Jews. Now, if you're in Israel, it's a little bit different. You might even see a different design dreidel. <clears throat> and that will be Neskadol Hayapo. A great miracle happened here. Make sense? So if you're not in Israel, Neskadol Hayasham, a great miracle happened there. But if you're in Israel, it's Neskadol Hayapo, and a great miracle happened here. Thought that was kind of neat too. <clears throat> now, of course, this is a feast day, so there's definitely going to be food. So, what kind of things do you traditionally make on Hanukkah? Or for Hanukkah? Well, you can make latkes. Latkes are definitely popular during Hanukkah, and they are oh so good. It's shredded potatoes, mixed with whatever you want, whether it be egg and salt and onion and peppers, garlic. Just mix it all up and fry it out in the little pancakes. Oh, so good. So, so good. Definitely got to try that. There's also sufgani yolk, which is like a jelly-filled donut, confectionery pastry thing 
Very good as well. Very sweet, but very good. There's also Lucamades and pretty much anything you can fry. And this goes back to the story of the oil, right? Fry things up in oil because of the story of the oil. That's where that comes from. There's also other things. Of course, you got to do challah. Any feast day, there's challah involved. Hanukkah is no exception. Challah on Hanukkah. Brisket is also a popular dish to serve during Hanukkah. Me and mine love some good brisket on Hanukkah. Pretzel bread is also good to have on Hanukkah. And lots of people also make that every year for the Festival of Lights. If you want some more ideas, definitely give us a shout and we can help you out with that. Maybe even some recipes as well. But these are just a, some of the ideas. You can contact different websites on the internet. You can even look up a list of recipes for Hanukkah. I mean, the internet is so helpful nowadays for stuff like that now. But we've gone long enough. We went over the history. We went over why Hanukkah, what Hanukkah, the connections, prophecy. We went over how to celebrate Hanukkah, etc., etc. So let's go ahead and wrap this up. So in summary, Hanukkah means dedication or rededication, depending on how you want to translate that. Hanukkah is connected with Daniel's prophecy, is connected with our Messiah Yeshua, and is connected with end-time prophecies as well. The ruler during the time of Hanukkah, Antiochus IV, who called himself God Manifest, is a shadow of the Antichrist that's to come during the end times. You see all the great, evil, horrible things that Antiochus did, and we can see all the great, evil, horrible things that the Antichrist is supposed to do, and we can see definitely how Antiochus was a foreshadowing or a type of the Antichrist. And Hanukkah remembers and celebrates the amazing and awesome and miraculous power of Yahweh, who delivers the faithful, regardless of the odds, regardless of how overpowered they are. The opposing force still is not more powerful than Yahweh, and Hanukkah illustrates that wonderfully. And Hanukkah is still for us today. And that's just the God-honest truth. <coughs> Excuse me. So thank you for joining us tonight. We really appreciate you being here and learning all about Hanukkah. If you have any more questions, comments, or concerns, do feel free to contact us through whichever way you feel most convenient. In just a minute, we'll be doing the Aaronic Benediction. So if you have anyone there with you that you would like to gather next to you when we do that, then go ahead and start gathering those together. While you're doing that, make sure to go down below, leave us a comment, hit that subscribe button and ring the bell, hit that like button and also the share button and share it around with your friends, family, colleagues, or whoever. And as always, if you have anything at all that you'd like to say, definitely feel free to contact us. 
If you have any questions about Hanukkah, contact us. We can get you in touch with resources, recipes, answer some questions, address concerns, or what have you. We just always love hearing from you. Once again, I'd like to take the time to apologize for last week. I had to go through the flu and stuff like that. So definitely couldn't do that, but we are sorry we had to cancel last week's live stream. And thanks again to everyone who supported us financially and was able to help us upgrade the studio equipment here with our new mic stand and also with our new camera stand. Things are so much better. And definitely let us know what you think about the new pre-stream video or the countdown and all that. How do you like it? Do you not like it? Do you like it? Just let us know. We always love hearing from you guys and getting feedback on what we're doing here at God Honest Truth Ministries. So, with all that being said, let's go ahead and do our Aaronic Benediction. Yevarekaka Yahweh, Vayishmarecha. Yair Yahweh Panave Lecha, Vihunecha. Yisah Yahweh Panave Lecha, Vayasim Lecha. Shalom. May Yahweh bless you and guard you. May Yahweh make his face shed light upon you and be gracious unto you. May Yahweh lift up his face unto you and give you peace. Thank you once again for joining us tonight. We really hope that you got a lot out of tonight's service and Drosh teaching. We hope that your Shabbat is a wonderful, restful Shabbat. We hope that the next upcoming week is filled with good food, good spirits, good fortunes, good friends, good family. And until we meet again, take care of each other, take care of yourself. Shavuot Tov and Shabbat Shalom. I sing of the kindness of Yahweh. Forever, forever I sing. When my mouth I make known all your wonder. Forever, forever I sing. I sing of the kindness of Yahweh. Forever, forever I sing. When my mouth I make known all your wonder. Forever, forever I sing. I sing. 
Forever, forever I sing With my mouth I make no 